Hey everybody, welcome to a, uh, I hate to say a special podcast episode, but it is of the First and Fifteen podcast. I'm Joel Pulliam, and we're going to get right to it today. Um, if you haven't heard, uh, affirmative action was struck down, struck down in the uh, Supreme Court today by a uh, vote six to three along, you know, ideological lines. Six conservatives voted to strike it down. The three liberals, uh, they voted to, you know, continue it. And um, just a little overview of affirmative action. If you don't know, uh, you first hear of it with JFK, right, in the early 60s. is was around the civil rights movement, trying to bridge that education gap. You know, for hundreds of years, we had worked for this country. We had built this country and got nothing in return. The GI Bill really didn't work with us. I mean, they didn't, they, they didn't obtain, like, apply to us. You know, they weren't trying to give us anything after World War II. And so this was a way to kind of bridge that education gap. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, after JFK is assassinated, he tries with affirmative action, couldn't get it done. It's not until the early 70s after um, the civil rights movement that colleges, they decide to get on the bandwagon and uh, join the rest of society and uh, try to diversify student bodies. Uh, and the crazy part, I mean, this... The day that it was ruled as constitutional, you already had people trying to sue, you know, mainly white students trying to sue to get it repealed, to get it struck down. And guess what? Conservatives, the bigots, you know, they got what they wanted today. This is the, the decision that they've been working decades for, and they got it. This has been a long time coming for conservatives. You know, people have to realize after the civil rights movement, right? The, the the goal of white supremacy doesn't change. It just shifts to, to format whatever time it's in. You know, think of it. You know, after slavery, okay, well, we can't enslave black people. We'll do, like, sharecropping. We'll get the governorships. We'll, we'll after Reconstruction and after, you know, Republicans leave the South, we'll take over state legislatures and, and implement Jim Crow. Okay, well, after civil rights, okay, can't can't dress in the Klan robes anymore. So I'll take that off and uh, put on a sheriff's badge and a, a judge's robe. I'll put on a business suit. And so it's all about rebuilding that neo-Confederacy type thing, that, that white supremacist state. And they did it by spending decades fortifying, strengthening the courts and, you know, reclaiming legislative power. And, and what you see from the courts, right, also is a devaluing of the federal government itself, of, of legislative and executive power, because the goal is states' rights, right? Think of the abortion ban. They didn't like, they struck it down as unconstitutional, thus leaving it to states to determine. And you know which states were going to determine that that abortion was illegal. Same with affirmative action. Now it's like, okay, we'll leave it to the schools themselves. They played the long game, and as of today, they've gotten what they wanted. And I don't need to tell you why we need affirmative action, but if you don't know, uh, anyway, it allows, you know, black people, in particular, this is what who was made for black people, but also Native Americans and Latinos, but black people to, to, uh, to enter into, you know, predominantly white institutions, uh, the Harvards, the Yales, the Ivy League schools to get those opportunities that they weren't going to get because they were overlooked. Um, and it also 
brought into to focus like the discrepancies in secondary education, right? High schools, uh, test scores. We weren't going to just base it only off of test scores because a lot of things play into that. You know, uh, what type of high school, what type of teaching do you get? What resources do you have? And so they wanted to include race because obviously black people don't have the resources like white people do. And what this case was, and the funny thing about it, this case was actually by uh, Asian students who felt like they didn't get into Harvard while black people or, you know, Latinos or Native Americans, they were allowed to get in over them. Uh, And so we're going to discuss that later on about, you know, kind of the model minority and uh, how white supremacy can even split up minorities like this. Um, and and how minorities can be used as a tool of white supremacy. Uh, so it's 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 today's frustrating. Uh, it, it's very frustrating. It's surreal. And um, and the other reason why affirmative action. Uh, let me get back to this. Why it's important. White people don't understand. Diversity helps you. It gives you an outlook on the world that you wouldn't otherwise have. Because the workforce, the real world, is diverse. And college should match the workforce. It should match the real world. And seemingly that this country is not like 70% white anymore or 80% white. Colleges should reflect that. You know, you even go back to, the let's say, the 14th Amendment. What it was was that a part of the 14th Amendment was to ensure equality, right, for everyone. And, and affirmative action was kind of that way of making sure that we had an even playing field. Because you can't say that we all started from the same point. You know, if you're enslaved, uh, you're not allowed to go to the same schools as white kids. You have old books. all You, you know what I'm saying? You can't even get degrees. You're not allowed in college. It's not going to be the same. So that's what affirmative action was trying to do was bridge that, that gap. And to see it struck down like that and overwhelmingly, six to three, uh, it, yeah, this country's foul. And, and and the real disappointing part, speaking as a black man, is seeing Clarence Thomas. Uh, and I might even say he's not even being used. This man, self-hate is a terrible thing. And I'll just say that. For you to have grown up in the South and, and you know how Jim Crow, uh, how it held a lot of black people back. You understand the barriers that 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 came with being black in this country and Affirmative action is the only reason he's even in that seat that he has right now. Even even if he doesn't want to admit it, it's the truth. Don't let anyone tell you any different. The only reason Clarence Thomas is even in the Supreme Court is affirmative action. And he looks at it as shameful. I look at it as that you were owed that. And George H.W. Bush, worst decision he made was putting Clarence Thomas on that Supreme Court to replace the great Thurgood Marshall with someone who hates who he is. And he he works on the behalf of white supremacy. Like Clarence Thomas works with white supremacy. His wife is an insurrectionist. And I'm tired of, like, now everyone sees it. Black people have been saying this for years. It's, it's a shame that a black man that old who's seen what this country has done to black people would rule like that today. And here's the crazy part. This man said, let me see if we get this right, even in, in his 
his statement about, you know, what he wrote about the decision, he said that the Freedmen's Bureau, right, after the Civil War, was a race-neutral term. I'm speak like I don't even understand where you could come with that conclusion. Like where did that even come from? To say that the Freedmen's Bureau was race neutral? I try not to disparage anybody in particular, but he really is an obstacle. He is a barrier for between us getting what we want. Like even when you his statement, right? He says that and this is these are his words. He was talking about Kentaji Brown Jackson, who voted to uphold affirmative action. Uh, he said, while articulating her black and white world, literally. Justice Jackson ignores the experiences of other immigrant groups like Asians and white communities that have faced historic barriers. Hello, Clarence Thomas. There is no group of people who have faced more in this country than black people. And for you to mention them nowhere in this statement, it's 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 crazy. Here's the cra- here's the crazier part. Like Clarence Thomas himself in 1983 argued for affirmative action and talked about its importance of in leveling the playing field. So what changed in those 40 years? I don't know. I you I mean I guess we'd have to ask him, but uh. Kentaji Brown Jackson, on the other hand, she had a great opinion, I thought. Um, and again, in a court that has six conservatives, she's one of the three liberals that are that are holding on, to be honest. Uh, and that are actually, you know, speaking the truth. She said, with let them eat cake obliviousness, today the majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all by legal fiat. She wrote, but deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. And having so detached itself from this country's actual past and present experiences. I love the fact that she added the part about colorblindness. Because I think, like, white people have to understand something. When we talk about colorblindness means you're ignoring people of color. You're ignoring black people. Colorblindness in this country doesn't exist. If that was the case... Black people wouldn't have been enslaved. If that was the case, Native Americans wouldn't have had their land stolen. If that was the case, we wouldn't have had Jim Crow. If that was the case, we wouldn't have police brutality. Obviously, colorblindness still exists. If that if that was the case and colorblindness didn't exist, there would have been no lynchings, no hangings, none of that. If colorblindness existed, there would have to be no need for affirmative action. Colorblindness has never existed in this country. And, and, and people always bring that up as a way to just like, hey, we're not going to talk about race. I believe in colorblindness. Remember what Dr. King said? L- like, read the entire speech of I Have a Dream. Better yet, listen to the interview that he had years after that with NBC to where he said that it had become a nightmare. And that he, it felt like you were trying to integrate into a burning house. He was talking about what he wants the world to be. But in order, he realized in order to get there, you have to acknowledge the, the realities of where we're at now. And you act as if, well, oh, you know, remember Dr. King, he wanted the content. No. If it was about the content of character and not about race, we wouldn't have a wealth gap. We wouldn't have an incarceration gap. 
we wouldn't have white flight. Donald Trump would have never been elected president because he sure enough doesn't stack up next to, to Barack Obama. Like, do you see how crazy that is and how offensive when you say colorblindness? Well, I'm not even gonna lie. When white people bring up colorblindness, I just totally ignore that. It's, it's a dumb argument. And there's nothing you can say to move me off of that. And what's funny is that history has shown us, American history, that white people have no problem with big government as long as it benefits only them. Right? Think about it. It's hard to explain how in just two decades, the South went from voting unanimously for large government Democrats to voting for, for Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater in, in 64. Like the same people who cheered for the Tennessee Valley Authority now found like the mere like mention of taxes a step too far. Like it's hard to believe that a whole geographical section of America could switch sides so drastically without an ulterior motive. And I'm be honest, it's racism. As long as these things help white people, they are fine with it. But for a lot of them, once it starts helping the others, they're vehemently against it. And in and, and another, we're going to have to have a hard conversation about race and not just like a black-white one. We have to acknowledge that in this Harvard admissions case that uh, the we said it before, it was an Asian student who sued and that I've talked about this in an earlier uh, episode other minorities have to be very careful of not being used as a tool of white supremacy. Right? Uh, they're gonna, that student is gonna find out that they still probably won't admit more Asian students, to be honest with you. They'll just admit more white students. That student never, like, brought up legacy, you know, students who get in because of their family being a booster or having a degree from there. They didn't sue based off of that. And, and that, the whole solidarity, the whole solidarity with coalitions and communities only works when we acknowledge these hard truths. And that a lot of times, people who come to this country or those who are immigrants, um, they are taught that you have to be white adjacent. And that means putting black people at the bottom. And that, oh, you can't let black people pass you up. And I'm sorry, that's just the truth. And I don't think we can build that coalition that we need until we are honest about those truths. And I'm going to say this, and I don't like to speak on issues, you know, from our community or about our community around other people. But I'm going to say this on this podcast. Y'all, we have to pay attention. Like as black people, we have to be aware of what's going on. I'm not saying that there's not people, you know, in the trenches on the front lines because there are. They're advocates on the front lines. So it's not that, but everybody from all all black people, everyone has to pay attention to what's happening because as you saw today, like it's not even hidden in the shadows. It's not hidden behind closed doors, right? Now they're just doing it in front of you. But we have to pay attention to the news, pay attention to what's happening in our state, in our communities, because they're trying to take everything from us. And, and I really want to say this, um, like the, the, the celebrities, the entertainers, uh, like the, the, the athletes, the people with a lot of resources in our community, like the preachers, I'm challenging y'all, y'all got to do better. 
I look at, at what's happening, what happened today. I didn't see any entertainers before today post about affirmative action. I saw no athletes, hardly saw any preachers, hardly saw any of the people who are big in the community in terms of like money and success. What are you doing? Or, or, is, it, or is it when you get success, you don't need to speak up for your community anymore? There's no reason that people, uh, that celebrities weren't, you know, the, the millionaires and billionaires, that they weren't funding those people who were protesting today or those who were organizing against voter suppression or those uh, uh, who were organizing to end police brutality. There's no reason that I didn't see it. I should have seen it like we put the black squares in 2020. I, we should have seen posts about affirmative action, about voting rights on all celebrities, on all millionaires and billionaires within our community and culture. It should have been posted everywhere. But like, look, 2020, I felt like it was trendy, you know, to 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 work towards rights for black people. The black squares, it was trendy. Now, I'm not surprised that most white people left the movement. That's American history. But the black celebrities, the entertainers, the preachers. Like, where are we at now? Or is it not trendy enough? Like, this is the time. When you have all the resources, it is your duty to help your community. Because without the community, you wouldn't be where you're at. And... I'm a, look, I'm a son of a preacher, so I'm going to speak for, for the black church. The preachers, where are they? Where are you? Like, you have the handful. Like, there's still preachers who, who speak up, don't get me wrong, but it, it's not the majority. Right? My dad, you know, Dr. T Todd J. Pulliam, he speaks up. People like William Barber, uh, 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 Reverend Bernice King, they speak up. But... Now that I, the vast majority, they don't. And I think it's crazy that we can find money to build buildings and to get on television and to fly jets and do all this. But those same preachers and pastors cannot speak up for their own people. And I'm going to say this. If you're listening right now and your pastor doesn't uh, uh, speak up for our community, you need to find another pastor. Because that's a huge part of the church. Right? You know, Jesus, he, he, he didn't like that the Pharisees and Sadducees and people like that were, you know, they were doing all the symbolic stuff but weren't taking care of people. What are we doing? And like, these same people on Martin Luther King Day, Black History Month, they want to get up and act as if they're Martin Luther King or John Lewis, and they're not. Because you're not sacrificing. You're not speaking up. It's the least you can do. And, and, and the crazy part is that as a church, we can we can judge people, we can condemn people, but at the same time, we'll be silent on the stuff that actually matters. And we're playing a game and it's not a game out here. And in our community, people are hungry and desperate. They're hurt. And, and the crazy part is that the black church in the past, it was the foundation of all these movements. Now it's leading from behind. Like, those with resources in our community, I want to ask, like, is it enough that, that you got money, you got your seat at the table? Does it mean, like, your responsibilities, they're over? Like, why aren't you speaking up when you have voices that people will listen to? Why aren't you speaking up on our behalf? And you might say, well, I'm an entertainer, I'm a celebrity, I'm an athlete, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a lawyer. Like, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Or is it... Like with some preachers, 
Is it that, okay, once I get uh, uh, adjacent to white people and I can get money from white people, that means that I'll be silent about what happens to the black community. Because that happens far too often. Like, really, man, like, where are y'all at when black people are still being killed by police at a higher rate? Where are y'all at right now? When voting rights are still being taken away, where is everyone? And I'm just, I'm upset, man, because, like, our people have been through so much. Think about it. For 400 years, we've earned this. We've been enslaved. We've been beaten. We've been raped. We've been abused, tortured, hung, lynched. Wouldn't even let us vote. Wouldn't give us housing. Wouldn't give us the same education. We fought in World War II when we came back. The GI Bill, they did nothing for us. Helped a lot of other Americans, didn't help us. They wouldn't even let us use the same restrooms as white people. And then I know that there are going to be people, because you see it all the time, especially online, where people, they'll say, oh, well, that wasn't you. And, you know, get over it. And your ancestors, you know, that wasn't you. You know, you haven't been enslaved. You know what I say to that? If these same things that have happened to black people for 400 years that happened to white people, we'd never hear the end of it. And guess what? They'd be right. Because no, no group of people should, should endure what we've endured and be silent about it. I just find it funny, though, that every time that white people have grievances in American history. I mean, you saw it in 2016. Uh, whether it was trade or immigrants, every time they have a grievance, we're supposed to just bow down and listen and kowtow to them. Even if the grievances aren't legit, when most times they're not. Because in American history, no group has been treated better than white people. But it's just, it's crazy that when we want to complain about, and it's not even complaining, it's giving legit grievances about things that have happened to us. We, we're, we're complaining. I don't really care. I'm going to be honest. You can be against whatever I, I, I'm saying right now. I really don't care. And that's the attitude you have to have. I might even try to discuss it like that with you. Our job now is to make things right. Think about it in this country. For all that we've done and we built this country, we have no reparations. Nothing. We, we got affirmative action for 50 years to help bridge that education gap, which in turn could help in the wealth gap. They could only give us 50 years to offset 400 years of oppression and inequality. And even that was too much. And now today, that's taken away. That, <laughs> I, I can't even describe that, that hurts. And if you're not black, it's hard to, to, for you to understand. But the feeling when it feels like no one messes with you. No one likes you. No one really cares. That, that was that feeling today. And again, I knew it was coming because, again, the 6-3 court, they've been building towards this. That and abortion and voting rights, they've been those are the big three. And I knew it was coming. But still, to see that, it um, it, it was surreal. And I've used that word, but it was just very surreal like that. And I know today you're going to hear people, and obviously Republicans are rejoicing for this day. Because, you know, they're immoral. They've been trying to do this for years, for decades. 
Um, oh, I even saw, I'm going to be, I saw Mike Pence. Uh, he said that he wanted to, this was a great day because he wanted to go back to a time where uh, we were, uh, what was it? Uh, we we judge men off the contents of their character. When in the past did we ever judge black people off the contents of, of their character? If that was the case, we wouldn't have needed affirmative action. That doesn't even, this is what we're dealing with now. So that party, far gone. They, you saw Trump, it's his court. Elections have consequences. When he won in 2016, that is the reason this happened. You know, and I'll say with the Democratic Party, like they'll say the right words today, but the situation we're in now, that's not enough. It's not even enough to say, like, you can't pass legislation right now to get your way out of this. I've said it before. I know I'm not the only one who said it. Expanding the court is really the only way to offset this. Because it's going to remain 6-3. As long as nobody dies, what are you going to do about it? They'll just keep ruling in this way. And if they won't stop with affirmative action. It's desperate times. It, it calls for desperate measures. I mean, I think of FDR, like, obviously he wasn't able to go through with it, but when he threatened, I'm going to expand the court. <laughs> you know, they had to tell him to stop, but it showed that he would go to any length to, you know, to get what he wanted. And right now in the situation that we're in, again, Voting Rights Act gutted. No abortion rights. No affirmative action. Uh, we're in, it's cold red. So I think if I'm Joe Biden, I am running, one of the things I'm running off is expanding the Supreme Court, ending the filibuster and expanding the Supreme Court. It sounds crazy, but a lot of things sound crazy. It sounded crazy to end affirmative action. They did it. You know what Republicans are good at and white supremacists and conservatives, what they're good at is that they put no limits on what they want. They're never held back by, oh, that's too crazy. That's too big. No. They want to end abortion rights. They want to end affirmative action. And they just did it because they believed they would do it. They don't put a limit on what they want. There's no cap, no ceiling. So those on the side of good, liberals, progressives, people like, you better start thinking like that. Of that there is no limit of how far we'll impose our will. Because right now, <laughs> they're getting everything they want. They got the big three that they wanted. So the question is, you know, even with, with Joe Biden in 2024, I think it would be a mistake to not run off of the Supreme Court. And, and people are going to ask, what are you going to do about it? That really is the only solution. You're not going to be able to say like, well, you know, this is wrong. And yeah, we know like I'm we all know that's. Yeah, it's wrong. But what are you going to do about it? Black people know what's wrong and what's right. Like we experienced it firsthand for 400 years. The question we're going to ask is, what are you going to do to remedy this problem with the Supreme Court? And I will say it again. You must expand the Supreme Court first in the filibuster and run off ending the filibuster and expand the Supreme Court. I just don't believe that you'll lose votes from people because you want to expand the Supreme Court. If they were with you, they'd still be with you. This is, I feel like you have a moral obligation to take that step. This country owes black people for all it's done to us. It owes Native Americans for what it stole from them. 
the affirmative action was one of those few remedies we had to help close gaps and bridges in society. And let's be honest, a lot of white people, they don't want that. They want to maintain what is. And if we gain any power or resources, they take that as an affront to all that they stand for. You know, I think uh, his name is Ellie Mistel. Uh, you, you see him, if you watch MSNBC, you see him there. Uh, a lawyer, I mean, he, the brother is really great at what he does. But he wrote today um, for The Nation, he wrote like an op-ed. And he said, um, the death of affirmative action was not achieved merely through the machinations of Republican lawyers. While conservatives on the Supreme Court delivered the fatal blow, the policy has long been made vulnerable by the soft bigotry of parents whose commitment to integration and equality turns cold the moment their little cherubs fail to get into their first choice of college or university. If you want to see a white liberal drop the pretense that they care about systemic racism and injustice, just tell them that their privately tutored kid didn't get into whatever elite school they were hoping for. If you want to make an immigrant family adopt a Klansman view of the intelligence, culture, and work ethic of black folks, tell them that their kids' standardized, standardized test scores are not enough to guarantee entry into ivy-draped ivy halls of power. Some of the most horribly racist claptrap folks have felt comfortable saying to my face has been said in the context of people telling me why they don't like affirmative action or why my credentials are somehow unearned because they were given to me by affirmative action. And, and, you know, that goes to a really big point about affirmative action. For years, I think all black people have heard some instance of that argument of, oh, well, they give you stuff. Affirmative action is the only reason you're there. Or, you know, it was just to meet a quota. You know, you've heard those arguments from people about, well, you know, the only reason she got into Harvard was, you know, affirmative action. Not, you know, knowing that, we have to work twice as hard as anybody to get to any place in life. So no matter what anyone tells you, this is definitely a paradigm shift just because it, it sets a precedent not only for, for, for colleges, but now the question is in the workforce. Uh, will businesses, will they try to, we already saw in 2020, they kind of, after 2020, they reneged on their promises of diversifying, you know, top level and, you know, workforces. That, that didn't happen. Uh, so without an affirmative action, when it comes to colleges and universities, you know, what does that mean for workforce? Are they going to be compelled or uh, forced? Not forced, but compelled is probably the better word to, to hire more black people or Native Americans or Latinos. And we already know that HBCUs are just as good, if not better than any Ivy League school. But in the workforce, a lot of times, they aren't given the respect. Those degrees aren't given the respect that they should be given, right? And so what happens now when, you know, they're less Ivy League black graduates, you know, less Latino graduates, Native American graduates, what happens? You know, they kind of did, they ended affirmative action in California. So it's kind of like a little test study. And by the next year, the amount of black and Latino and Native American students that have been cut in half, right? And they saw further down the line in, in the following years 
that a lot of them just stopped applying altogether. <laughs> so this kind of shows you it 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 shows that the, the the Supreme Court diversity is not a priority or an objective for this Supreme Court, and that that doesn't bode well for our country. For these next few years, unless again you know uh, act of God or whatever, or we expand the court. We're kind of stuck with this. And they have shown they do not care about diversity in public spaces. So, you know, y'all, I, I have no idea what's next. I wouldn't be surprised by anything now. We, we are in troubling times. And I just want people uh, to understand where it's, it's troubled waters right now. And I also want to say this, and this is the funny part. For, for the white people who are against affirmative action, and you see it online today, it's just it's nasty stuff. Um, the people who uh, benefited the most from affirmative action were white women. So for those people who are against affirmative action, white people who are against it, you're only hurting yourselves. And see, history has also shown us that being bigoted and hatred it hurts you as much as it hurts black people. Like, those on the other end of racism, they're not the only ones hurt. You're destroying your own selves. You're killing off your own potential. And you think that, oh, you're smart and that you got us, but you're hurting yourselves in the midst of it. Uh, you know, I wish I had some, like, encouraging message. And don't get me wrong. I, I, I keep the faith. You know, faith, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There is no evidence right now that things are going to get better. But I think today we just need to sit in what just happened and really take it in and realize how far we've gone, how far backwards we've gone. You know, this is a real, real... We're at an impasse right now, a crossroads of what we what we're going to be as a nation uh this is the first time in our lifetimes that rights have been rolled back by the supreme court so we're going to need a different strategy the the safe it isn't working anymore the old college tried no pun intended the 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 what we've been doing the safe stuff nah it, it's not possible from here on out It'll take radical ideas. You know, this is this is where leaders are made. This is where uh uh this is where you earn your stripes, right? Every generation has at least in my for, for black people, every generation has had to go through this. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. So it's gonna take different tactics. Ra what people would deem radical will have to become normal now. Because the other side they're coming for it all. And so uh, that being said, um, I thank you for listening. I, I, I hope you stay encouraged. And um, just remember that being upset, especially in this case, there's nothing wrong with it. Because your passion only means one thing, that you're still alive. God bless. Mm -hmm.